1: Seated. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. Look forward to the day when you'll get to worship with us at one of our campuses. And speaking of campuses, I want to welcome in all of those worshiping in Prescott Valley today. So grateful for you. So glad to have you with us this morning. If you are a newcomer with us in any of our uh, uh places of worship today, then we want to say welcome to you. We'd love to have you connect with our team. Uh, you can stop by Connection Central if you're at Prescott Valley or here in Prescott. Uh, we'd love to say hi to you before you head out. Before we dive into our text today, I do have one quick announcement I want to make. Uh, Candy Crawl is tomorrow night, so this is a big event for us here at Quad City Christian. It's so cool that we have thousands of families who are going to be just a couple of blocks from our campus, and so we utilize this as an opportunity to connect with people we've never connected to. If you've never been, it's an opportunity to come and have your kids trick-or-treat here on campus. we we'll have inflatables and games and food uh, here at the press. Prescott Campus. So we want to just say first, thank you for all of your candy. We are so grateful. We'll give it all away tomorrow night. And secondly, thanks for all of our volunteers. Looking forward to having you play host to our community. And I would just invite the rest of you to come and invite your neighbors, invite your friends to come join us here at the Prescott Campus. Bring bring kids, neighbors, family, grandchildren, and just be a good host to all of the community that are going to be with us here tomorrow night. So uh, make sure you know how to get here, they will close down Mount Vernon so you have to go out white spar and come across Hazley. better google that out before you try to get here tomorrow night. Um, today we are continuing our series through the book of Romans and so if you got your Bibles go ahead and turn them on, turn them to Romans chapter 4. If you have your notebook it's on page 80 today. Again, if you're a newcomer, we are working our way through this book of the Bible called Romans, going line by line, verse by verse, through the book of Romans. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, which was in chapter 4, verse 13, and we're continuing this conversation about Abraham. Now, as I said last week, three world religions point back to Abraham as the father of their faith, Jews, Jews. Muslims and Christians all look back to Abraham and say this is where it started. Now, two of them look back and say it was Abraham's obedience that we need to emulate. Abraham heard from God and he obeyed God and we need to be like Abraham. So that's that's the way Jews and Muslims look at Abraham. As Christians, we don't point back to Abraham's obedience. We point back, because of what Paul teaches us, we point back to Abraham's faith as the starting point. In other words, obedience is what Jews and Muslims look at, look at. Christians look at God made Abraham righteous, not through his obedience, but through his faith. And we need the faith of Abraham to be made righteous. So that's where we started last week. It's where we're going to continue today. So let's dive in. Verse 13 of chapter 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Pause for just a second. How many of you, maybe through what you learned last week or what you learned in VBS as a kid, how many of you believe that you are a child of Abraham? Anybody? Anybody? We got some work to do. All right, the rest of you better by the time we're done today. All right, here's what I want you to understand: You are an heir of Abraham. We'll talk about that today. If you are in Christ and have the faith of Abraham, and because you are an heir of Abraham, don't miss this. Look what it says: It was not through the law, or law meaning his obedience through something he did, that Abraham and his offspring, which is you, His offspring received the promise that they would be the heir of the world. Did you know you were to be the heir of the world? You're not very excited about this. The whole world, like all of it, is going to be yours. That's what it means to be an heir. An heir is somebody owns something and then they pass it down to someone else. And Paul says... Look, Abraham and his offspring, i.e., you and me, we are going to receive, we have received the promise, it's a promise that we will be the heir of the world. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament that talks like this. Let me give you a couple of more. Paul writes again to the church in Corinth, to people just like us, all things are yours. You know it's included in all things? All things, like all of it. All things are yours, Paul says. Whether Paul or Apostle, uh Paul or Apollos or Cephas, these were teachers who were giving these teachings. He says, that All that they say, all the promises that they give, they are all yours. All things are yours. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or the world. Like the the whole world is yours. And life and death, the present, the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Paul says, it all is yours. The whole world will be yours. You are the heir of all things. Again, you're not very excited about this. But in these last days, he has spoken, the writer of Hebrews, in these last days, he, meaning God, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Who is the heir of all things? Actually, it says Jesus. Y'all need to pay attention. It's, It's on the screen here. He, by his son, he appointed Jesus heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all. I thought you just said we are. I did. Hang with me. He is the heir of all things. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to God is given to Jesus and we are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that is Christ is ours. <sighs> what does God own? Everything. Everything. What does Jesus inherit from the Father? And what are you? A co heir with Christ. It is all yours. I just want you to imagine for a moment that you actually believed that. If you actually believed that, you would never be jealous for anything. Ever. Because you know, one day it's all going to be mine anyway. If you actually believe that, you would never be afraid to give anything away. You would be so generous. I mean, why would you care to give something away? Because you're going to inherit the world. Of course I can live without it now, because I'm going to live with it for eternity. Have it for a while. You would never, for a moment, worry about having your needs met. If you truly believed that you were heir of all things, you would never, for a moment, worry about having your needs met. Ever. I mean, just imagine for a moment that you were heir of Elon Musk's fortune. Imagine for a moment you are heir of Warren Buffett's portfolio. Like you got to inherit that whole thing. Imagine if that if you if that was true, if you were the heir of Jeff Bezos' fortune, you would never worry about money for a second for the rest of your life. Now multiply that by a billion because you have been promised to be heir of the world, which includes everything that Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, and Elon Musk already own. Side note, um, you want to know something kind of sad? Most of you just got more excited dreaming about being Elon Musk's heir, which will never happen. You got more excited dreaming about what that would be like than actually dreaming about what has been promised to you that you are an heir of God. What does that tell you about us? Imagine if we actually believed it. Now, the question becomes, how did Abraham become an heir of all things? What was it that made him become the heir of all things? Things. How does Abraham's offspring, i.e. us, how do we receive everything that belongs to God? Was it because Abraham obeyed all the rules? No, go back to the text. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. How did Abraham become the heir? It wasn't by following the rules. It wasn't because of his obedience to the law. In fact, there were no laws yet. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no Deuteronomy or Leviticus yet. There were no dietary restrictions. Those things did not come into existence for about another 500 years after Abraham received this promise. So how did he become an heir? Through the righteousness that comes By faith. And Paul wants to make sure that this church in Rome and this church in the Quad Cities understand the same thing. That his offspring become heir of the world. By sharing in Abraham's faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, if it's by something you do, by your obedience, if that's what makes you an heir, then faith means nothing. And the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Don't miss this. The law is not what makes anyone an heir. It is the promise that comes through faith. What does the law bring? The law brings wrath. The law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law, the Old Testament commands, you just need to know, were never meant to make people holy, ever. The point of the law was to help you to understand just how unholy you are. Let me try to help paint the picture this way. In Scripture, when we talk about sin, there's two words that are often used. Uh, trespasses, you learn that in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So you have trespasses and you have transgressions. So what's the difference? Um, If you've ever went out hiking or hunting, chances are you have ended up somewhere where you were not supposed to be. Like you were on somebody's land, you crossed over a boundary, you went somewhere you weren't supposed to be. That's called trespassing. Chances are you didn't know it. You just wandered and you ended up there. You were somebody else's land. That's, That's trespassing. You were somewhere you did not belong. Imagine for a moment that where the boundary was, they put up a sign, and it said, do not enter, stay away, no trespassing, no hunting. You see the sign, you see the fence, but you also see the buck 150 yards over the fence, so you jump it anyway. At that point, that's the transgression. Because you see the sign, you know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. The law of God is like that sign. It tells us that what we're doing is wrong. And because the sign is there, we have no more excuse for saying, I didn't know. Before the sign was there, I could trespass and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't see the sign. There was nothing that told me this is bad. But now that the sign is up, you have no excuse. And because the sign is up, you are now liable for punishment. You weren't liable for punishment before the sign was up. But now that the sign is up, you can be punished because you know that's the law. The law is the sign that says what you thought you were doing that you didn't know was wrong, and now you know. And now... Because you chose to do it anyway, you're now liable. Here's the good news. Being an heir isn't dependent upon us being obedient. Like, that's not the thing. It comes through faith in the promise. That's what makes us heirs. It comes by faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So that it may be by grace, not by your works, may be by grace guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed. You are an heir of the world guaranteed as an, as an offspring by grace through faith. Not only those who are of the law, not just those who are Jewish and who follow the, Ten command, Not just those, but those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Now, some of you, you know I had to bring this up at some point. Some of you had this truth ingrained in you. When you went to Sunday school or were forced to go to some VBS, it was ingrained in you. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. How many of y'all knew that song? How many? How many? Thanks for leaving me hanging. You sang that song because of this verse. Because it's true. Because you don't have to have Abraham's DNA to be one of Abraham's children. Like we are his offspring because we share his faith. That's how we become heirs of all things. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations. This was God's promise to Abraham. He is our father. Paul says to a majority Gentile church, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He is our father. He is the father of our faith. Not because we share his DNA, but because we share the faith, the one in whom he believed. He believed God made Him our Father when we share His faith. And what did he believe? He believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's what he believed. He calls things that were not. Into being like a you like a universe from nothing. He calls it into being. It didn't exist and then it did because God said it. He he calls it into being life from the dead. He speaks and a body pops from the grave and a baby from a barren womb. He calls into being things that weren't even there. Against all hope, like What Abraham believed seems so ludicrous. Nobody would dream this could happen. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. He didn't just believe in God, he believed God. He believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. I need to back up just a second. Because I shared this with you last week. I shared that God came to Abram He was 75 years old and said, count the stars if you can. You are one of them. If you are in Christ, count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. But what I didn't tell you is what Abram's name meant. You know what Abram's name meant? Abram's name meant exalted father. That's what his name meant. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine every time Abram introduced himself to someone for his entire life. Hi, what's your name? Ah, my name's Abram. Oh, exalted father, how many children do you have? None. Through his 20s, his 30s, and his 40s. Oh, Abram, how many children do you have? None. Exalted father, hmm, 50s, 60s, 70s. No doubt at this point, Abram's name begins to become a burden to him. Because it's a reminder every time he says it out loud that it's not going to happen for him. He is a childless, exalted father. He turns 75 years old and all hope is lost that he will ever live up to his name because his wife is now 65 years old and she couldn't conceive in her 20s or her 30s or her 40s or her 50s. What chance is there that she would conceive in her 60s? And God comes to Abram. and he gives him a promise. You will be an exalted father. And not just of one child. No, no, no. You will be the father of many nations through her. And against all hope, Abraham believed it. He believed it. In fact, God said, you're going to be the father of many nations, which is why you will no longer be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. You know what the name Abraham means? Father of many. Or father of nations. He's 75 years old. What's your name? My name's Abraham. Oh, father of many nations. How many children do you have? But he believed. it. He believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And so without weakening his face, he faced, the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Don't miss this. He did not ignore the facts. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He didn't ignore the facts. He looked at the facts. My body is as good as dead. I'm like a hundred years old. And my wife, her womb is as good as dead. Like it's a shriveled up little prune in there. It ain't got no life. Those were the facts. Those were facts. But they weren't all the facts. You know what else was the fact? That he served a God who could take dead things and bring them to life and speak things that were not as if they were. That was the fact. That was a fact, and he believed that fact. And some of you, that's all you need to be reminded of today. Because you are facing the fact and looking at your circumstances, but you're forgetting the fact that you serve a God who can take dead things and bring them to life and speak things that aren't as if they are. You forget to bring that into the equation. Abraham didn't forget that. Which is why, without weakening his faith, he looked at the facts. And believed that God could do what he said he could do. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Regarding, don't miss this, regarding what? Regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised couple of things I need to point out today. This text says he was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. But he was not perfectly faithful. He was fully persuaded, but he was not perfectly faithful. If you know Abraham's story, go back and you can read it in Genesis, then you're going to recognize the fact that Abraham did some really stupid stuff. Like, legit, stupid stuff. Like, like when God first came to Abram and says, "I'm going to make you a father of many." Like, Count the stars; that's your children. Do you know how Abraham responded when God told him that? You know how he responded? Abraham fell face down and he laughed. That. Roll on the floor laughing you put in your text. Abraham actually did it. God says, I'm going to make you the father of many. And Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Are you kidding me right now? That does not sound like a man of great faith. Just got to say, Abraham, you could do better. He he literally fell on the ground and started laughing. (sighs) But yet he believed God. But some time goes by. From the time he receives the promise, a year, two years, five years, ten years after the promise comes, ten years and there's no baby. Abraham is now 85, Sarah 75, There was a decade between the promise. A decade where nothing happened. They're waiting, they're hoping, they're believing, and nothing happens for a decade. So Sarah comes to Abram and says, I have a plan. I have a handmaiden named Hagar. Why don't you take her and sleep with her, and we'll build a family through her. We'll fulfill the promise through Hagar and Abraham is like, well, honey, I'm willing to take one for the team. (laughs) And he lays with Hagar and she gets pregnant and and who would have seen it coming? I mean, who could have shockingly this pregnancy creates tension between Sarah and Hagar? Who could have predicted that? And that tension has only been multiplied through the generations and we're still living in the middle of it in our world today. That decision still has consequences. And not only that, Abraham, this great man of faith who believes in God, gave his wife away, not once, but twice to foreign kings. Like twice! He goes into a territory and knows that the king is there and he thinks, oh my goodness, they're going to steal my wife so I'll just give her to him so he doesn't kill me. He did that. Not once, but twice. Like you look at Abraham and you say, that doesn't sound like a great man of faith, but when you think about it, when I think about it, I think that actually gives me hope. See, Abraham was persuaded, but he wasn't perfect. He believed God, but he still messed things up. He never doubted that God could do what he promised, but it didn't keep him from trying to accomplish it himself when he felt like God was taking too long. That gives me hope. His faith journey had some amazing ups and some amazing downs. Just like ours, but he never doubted that God could do what he promised he could do. And that is so important. Abraham was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And I want to make sure that we see that today. Fully persuaded. He didn't waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God. He was strengthened and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He had promised. God could do what He had promised. That was true for Abraham and it's true for us. God will do what He promises to do. We can have faith in that. We can be fully persuaded of that. But there are so many people who end up punting their faith in God, who walk away from their faith not because God doesn't do what he promised to do but because God didn't do what they wanted him to do don't miss that today there are people who walk away from their faith not because God doesn't do what he promises but because God doesn't do what they wanted God will do everything he promises but doesn't mean that he's going to do everything that you expect him to. I want to, I've got some questions for you today that are going to be hard to answer for some of you. But I just want you to hear this today. Has God promised you a husband or a wife? Did God promise that? The answer is no. He did not promise you that. Has God promised you a child? Did God promise that? The answer is no. He's never promised you that. Did God promise you a long life? No, He has not promised you that. Did God promise you that this life will be comfortable for you? No, He didn't promise you that. Did God promise you that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise? No, it is not His promise for you. Did He promise you that your spouse will never leave you? No, He didn't promise you that. Did He promise you that you would never have to bury a child? No, He didn't promise you that. Does He promise you that your business will succeed? Does He promise you that you will have more than you need? Does He promise you that? No, He doesn't promise you that. Does He promise you that your body and your mind will always work exactly how He has designed it to? Did He promise you that? No. He didn't promise you that. On the other hand, what has He promised you? What has He promised you? He has promised you that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He has promised you that never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. He has promised, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. He has promised my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And he has promised that in all things, in all things, we know that God will work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has promised that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. He has promised that I have so loved the world that I've sent my only son That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He has promised that if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. He has promised that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He has promised, behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. He has promised that that who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Shall, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's His promise. And He will do what He's promised you. If you want to know where those promises come from, they're right here. And we could keep going. Like we could do this for an hour. These are His promises to you. And we need to stop trying to hold God account for things that He never promised us. The reality is so many people end up punting their faith not because God didn't fulfill His promises, but because God didn't meet their expectations. So we need to stop trying to hold him account for things that he didn't promise or worse yet we need to stop being surprised or angry when the things that he did promise us actually come to pass abraham believed he was fully persuaded that god would do what he promised even though he Messed up trying to do them himself. He believed that God could do it. And that belief in those promises were credited to him as righteousness. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The, the words, it was credited to him, they were written not for him alone. So that That phrase is in quotations because it's recorded for us in Genesis. It wasn't recorded for Abraham. It was recorded for us. It wasn't credited for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. Like, what Abraham got, it was credited to him as righteousness. His righteousness account was filled up. And he says, and that was written down so that we could understand that God will credit righteousness to us too. But what is it that we believe that will get Righteousness credited to us. It's not the same thing that was credited to Abraham. What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed, I can have a baby at a hundred. That was what he believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. You believe that? That ain't getting credited to you as righteousness. Okay? So what is it that we need to believe? What will God credit to us as righteousness? For us. We get, we get righteousness credited for us who believe in him who raised Christ, I'm sorry, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What is it that you need to put your faith in? What is it that you need to believe this right here? That we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He died for our sins and was raised for our justification. You have to believe that. you got to go all in on that. you got to trust in that. Like when we, when we say we have faith, this is what we have faith in. That God sent His Son to die in our place and for our sins, and God raised Him from the dead. This, this is what our belief is in. So the question is, do you believe it? Do you live as if that's true? This is the promise that's made for you. And if you go all in on this, it gets credited to you as righteousness. And if you've never put your faith in that, come talk with one of our pastors, let us have a conversation to help you take that step. Because this is all that matters in the end. This is what you get credited righteousness for so put your faith in the life death burial and resurrection of jesus because in the end nothing else matters Lord jesus we are grateful that you've made it so clear to us where it is that our faith belongs and what it is that will get righteousness credited to us it's not by what we do it's by what you have done through your life your death your burial and your resurrection So help us walk today as if that's true. And that because we are in Christ, we then are heirs of the world and we can live like our Father owns it all. May that be this church, your people, live their lives every single day. In Jesus we pray, amen.